welcome back to another week of studying. We're journeying through the book of James and we're almost to the end, which is pretty crazy. Uh, but we're going to be in James chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 7 through 11. And uh, so if you have Bibles, open them up. Not multiple Bibles, but if you have a Bible. Uh, if you have the Bible app, open it up. Find the passage. We also have a digital bulletin that has all the information about what we're talking about. Uh, other references that I make and also a video at the very end that you can watch to kind of further your understanding of this topic that we're going to talk about when we talk about suffering. And so uh, I would just encourage you to go check it out. It's at graceandpeacechurch.org backslash bulletin and you can find all the info there and track with us um, as well as connect with us because at the very bottom of that we have a connect card. Um, it's a digital connect card. You can fill that out. If you have prayer requests for anything that's going on in your life right now that you're wrestling with, struggling with, um, or friends or family that need prayer for things, we'd love to be praying for you. And so uh, there's a section there where you can just write in a little comment for prayer and submit it. And we as a team, as a staff here at Grace and Peace, will be praying for you. Uh, we consider that a, a great honor. And we believe that prayer changes things. It has power. So I just want to invite you into that. Uh, so the topic here is a heavy topic. We're going to be talking about suffering and what James hits on in this portion of scripture here, this portion of this letter that he writes, he hits on the idea of patience within suffering. And I know that sounds challenging, convicting, difficult, um, maybe even unachievable, uh, but let's unpack it and begin to see the definitions of what scripture says about suffering and then hopefully that'll help guide us a little more into how we approach these things and how we uh, handle suffering when it takes place in our lives as well as the people in our lives. So right off the bat, let's read the passage. We are in James chapter 5 verses 7 through 11. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have heard and seen what the Lord's finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So he brings up this this topic of suffering and how the church should handle it, how believers should handle it. And we've got to remember again, he's, I just always have to reiterate this, that he's not talking to general population. He's talking to those who have surrendered their lives to Christ and are following God and his mission and how they should handle suffering. This isn't meant to be projected on anybody else, but it's how we who understand the love of God handle it. And so first off, I would say, why is there suffering? Let's just ask that question and begin to wrestle with it. First off, I would say, I don't know all the answers, but hopefully I can give us some handles that help us, at least it's helped me, get a better grip on how I approach these difficult things that we have to wrestle with in life. These challenges when someone gets cancer, when um, really, really, really tragic things take place. Um, 
we, we have to have a way of approaching it. And what I see here is there's two words in my life that have transformed my understanding of suffering. First off, relationship and restoration. And I hope that those come to life. I know that those may seem very off topic or uh, just irrelated, unconnected, whatever, but relationship and restoration. So first off, relationship. I believe that what Jesus invites us into is a relationship with God that helps us navigate life, that helps us uh, be informed of the way that we should view the world that we live in. So let me just show you a little bit like just from uh, where James is talking from or what he's quoting when he, when he, when he talks about the suffering. Um, and that'll help us understand this relationship a little bit more. So uh, he's, he's quoting Matthew 5 and there's a passage, it's a Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is speaking to disciples and to a, a, an audience of just listeners about what the kingdom of God looks like and what it looks like to follow him. And it starts out in verse 43. It says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, sons and daughters. For he makes his son rise on evil and on the good. Let me read that again. For he makes his son rise on evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So we see here Jesus point out that in loving our neighbor and loving others, even when it's challenging, even when you're persecuted, um, he says that tied to that love is the fact that there are blessings for those who are just and unjust, evil and good. He says basically the sun shines on both, the rain falls on both. And what that's saying is that the God's blessing goes out to all people. It's not biased. It's not to just select people that are able to have this blessing or, or receive blessing. But what he says is that God's generosity is going everywhere. And we're called to do the same, that we're called to reflect that same kind of generosity, that same kind of love towards others. And so when he puts it in, in connection to love for your neighbor and love for your enemy, enemy what he's saying is, God has that love for everyone, we're called to do the same. And that everyone is, is treated um, and viewed by God in that same heart, that same way of love for all and blessings for all. Um, and so maybe our understanding of the mission of God needs to be reevaluated. Because if that's God's heart for everyone, that the rain falls on everyone, the sun shines on everyone, if that's his approach to everybody, that then that is meant to be ours as well. And that our mission is to counteract the evil and the brokenness that exists in our world. There is a very clear and defined evil that exists around us that many of you have maybe experienced yourself that maybe that you've been a part of. I know that I've experienced it personally where I've given myself over to selfish desires or given myself over to evil hatred towards other people um, and over the years have had to uproot that and allow Jesus to soften my heart and begin to transform me from the inside out. And that's what God invites us into is this 
this mission to bring God's kingdom that Jesus repeats in the Sermon on the Mount uh, a few times is that God's kingdom is meant to be coming down here on earth. That's where in the prayer he says, Lord, your kingdom come as it is in heaven, uh, on earth as it is in heaven. That there would be this desire for God's ways of loving one another, taking care of one another, um, that that would take place here on earth. Um, and that would be pushing back the darkness, pushing back sin, pushing back evil, broken relationships, all those things. That's what he invites us into is to be part of that mission of God making all things new. He uses us. That's pretty humbling that he uses our lives in this restoration project of like making things new, making this world the way that he designed it to be. Um, and that's going back to this this connection all the way back to the very beginning. If you want to read back in Genesis 1 and 2, the creation story that God created us in his image and that we are created in such a way to also be creators. That he created us to be a kind of people who reflect that relationship that God desires of walking in the garden with him and things are at peace between us and one another and at peace with us and God and at peace with us and the creation. So like the garden, the world that we live in, the, the tangible world that we're in. And, and so the Bible project has this great image of um, the, uh, this, these decisions, these, this uh, free will that he's given us, if you want to put it that way. Um, they have this illustration of a person having um, basically a tool or a wand in their hand to be able to create whatever they want. And that God gives us this freedom, and this is the key part going back to suffering. God gives us the, the ability, since we're creating his image, to create beautiful, loving communities. He gives us opportunity to be blessing to other people, that we can wave that wand and say, I'm going to be a loving person to this family. I'm going to use my bank account. I'm going to use my resources, my home, my car to be a blessing to someone else, to people around me on a regular basis. I can use this wand to be a, a loving person at my job that I can begin to go in this entire world and make, make waves in a positive way. Um, we, I've told you guys stories about my buddy Tim who's had just a tremendous impact in Haiti. So he's going and waving his wand and saying like he's, he's using the power that God's given him, the strength that God's given him to be a blessing to a community that doesn't have drinking water, that doesn't have food, that doesn't have shelter, clothing, education, um, medical uh, issues that, uh, that are being met there. Like there's all these different things that he's doing to basically wave his wand to be a an image bearer of God in the world he's in. Here's the flip side. We live in a world where God's given us autonomy, free will, choice to do what we want. When we wake up, when our head pops off the pill in the morning, we have a choice to do whatever we want. Amen? So here's the flip side. That same wand that he's given us, we can use to create weapons. We can use that wand to create division between relationships. We can use that wand to speak evil into people's lives, damaging phrases, right? 
Um, we can use that wand to create systems that oppress people. We can use that wand to put up barriers and keep people out. So many ways that that wand can be used for evil because we have that choice, right? And so I like that image because I feel like that, that really describes a lot of why the suffering exists in our world. Um, there's a commentary that'll be in the notes that you can read if you want. And it goes like this. It says, the causes are manifold when we talk about suffering. Family deaths, economics, failures of the church, corruption of governments, human greed, hatred of Christ, sickness, and personal sin. Sometimes they're particular, sometimes they're vague. In addition, sometimes the cause of our suffering rests with us, sometimes with others, sometimes with larger structural realities, and sometimes with a fallen world too often characterized by death and decay. So the causes of suffering in our world come from a lot of different places. And it can come from within us, it can come from someone around us, it can come from larger structures, governmental structures, all these different ways. And, and so we have to clearly begin to see that there isn't one thing to blame, but we can't, we can't put the blame on God. One of the things that tends to happen is that we, we blame God for whatever the suffering is that exists. But the reality is, He's given us this autonomy. He's given us this freedom. What we do with it is many times destructive. We clearly aren't living in a world where God forces his will on us. That he's given us options. He gives us that daily choice to follow, to obey, to live into this mission of bringing this beautiful message of love to the world or doing our own thing. So suffering can come from many places. And to claim that we know exactly where suffering comes from, I would say would be a little bit arrogant on our part. Um, but I would also recognize that um, and, and draw our attention to this very, I think, very real fact that um, the church sometimes will use scripture in a destructive way, in a misinformed way. Romans 8.28 says, God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I know this is a bit of a, tang a, uh, a tangent, but the tendency is to tie God to suffering and then claim that obedience in that suffering is shaping us and that then somehow we're going to come through it. Um, if there is evil in our world that is causing that suffering, that is not caused by God. God does not bring suffering in the form that we of evil that is done by other people. So if someone's abusing you, if someone's causing some sort of evil in your life, that is not God working through that to shape you in some way. Yes, you might be shaped and you might be able to use that experience in a positive way to then help others who have been through that, that traumatic experience or that evil, but that is not God starting that, causing that, instigating that in any way. We have to recognize that evil comes from people who make choices to cause evil. 
And so I just wanted to clarify that because I need, I think that needs to be spoken and it needs to be addressed within the church and within our community that we continually look back to if there's evil in our world that needs to be addressed and taken care of, we need to step in and we need to, um, begin to, uh, uh, to confront that in a real honest way. Um, and not peg that as something that is like, where's God trying to shape us in some way? That's just not okay. Um, there may be areas where God is shaping us, but it's not going to be as a result of someone else's personal choice that is evil. So when it comes down to uh, how we handle the suffering and how we handle these challenges that exist, since they can come from all kinds of places in our lives, whether it's people, whether it's um, the world we live in, just the fallenness of the world, um, or bigger systems, government, different things like that, um, how we handle this, the posture that we have is what is most important. That our relationship toward God and our posture towards Him is ultimately what's going to inform and shape how we handle these, um, this suffering that exists in our world um, in the best possible way. So, to, I think, take that a little further to begin to unpack that, Let's use the life of Job because that's what James does. James points back to Job, which is a story that you see in the Old Testament. I would encourage you to read chapters 1 and 2. And um, read the whole thing. I would encourage you that. But if you want to get the gist of it, chapters 1 and 2 begin to set up the story beautifully. So I'll give you kind of an overview. Uh, Basically, um, Job refused to curse God for any suffering that he was dealing with. He experienced tremendous loss. So there's this conversation between God and the devil. And basically, God says, have you considered my my servant Job? Which is a very important line. Have you considered my servant Job? Job was loyal. Job was faithful to God and pursuing God with all of his life. And the devil's response in this conversation um, is essentially says that your boy Job, he only follows you because life is good for him. Job had a lot of possessions, large family, uh, lots of camel, um, lots of resources. And so what the devil says is in this conversation is that the only reason Job follows you and is obedient is because he has all these things, all these comforts. So what God says is, okay, you can test that. You can take away those things and begin to see what happens in his faith and what he does. Job's response in that process is what is most important, what I want to learn, what I want to like draw our attention to here. Um, His response, well, let me just give you the second part of the story real quick. So in chapter two, you see, um, so the devil takes away all of his possessions um, and, and basically just boils his life down to nothing, no more no more resources, no more family, no more home, no more camels, all that stuff's gone. And then chapter two, um, well, sorry, at the end of chapter one, Job still responds with faith. And then God says, okay, you want to test him further? Because Satan's like, he still only loves you because of his physical health. And so God says, okay, don't kill him, but you know, do what you're going to do and see how faithful he is. And so basically he gets sores all over his body 
and um, as a result of what the devil does. And then, um, and, and Job's response is still this response of faith. And this beautiful line, check this out. So he has a conversation with his wife at the end of chapter two. His wife says, are you still maintaining your integrity? Integrity is a key word that I want to draw our attention to. Maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, you are talking foolish. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? So should we only accept the good things and not accept the trouble and the difficulties? And then he goes on in, in, in verse 20 of chapter 1, you hear him say, he says, uh, Job stood up, tore his robe in grief. So it's definitely suffering. There's definitely a challenge for him. He's like, this isn't easy. And then he shaves his head and fell to the ground in worship. So in the middle of suffering, Job's response is worship. I don't know that that's always my response when a challenge approaches to go, where are you, God, and what are you going to do in the midst of this? And I just want to listen and obey. I got to admit, when trouble hits, when challenges hit, we want to we want to throw in the towel and we're just like, I'm done. Let's find somebody to blame. Let's find some kind of way to get ourselves out of this instead of saying, I'm going to worship God. So that was the first thing that I noticed that's a, just a, a little, little truth that is powerful that that we see woven in here. And it goes on, it says, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. Recognizing that you started with nothing and you end with nothing. You, get, you don't get to take any of that stuff with you. It says, the Lord gave me what I had and the Lord takes away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. In verse 11, we see in James here, he says, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. Job persevered. What Job did in that process of the challenges and the difficulties, and um, some might say that this is uh, maybe a more of like a parable as Jesus told. Um, so however the story unfolds and however um, word for word you want to read Job, I would say it's still applicable to our lives when we face suffering to say, God gives, God takes away, uh, but blessed be the name of the Lord. And, and there's just a, a posture that says, regardless of my circumstances, I know that God is good, and I know that God has me in his grip. That my life, my joy, my contentment isn't based on how much I have in my bank account. My life, my joy, my contentment is not based on how many people love me, care for me, take care of me, and tell me how awesome I am. It's not based on my social media accounts. It's not based on how well my car runs. It's not based on how well my house is operating. None of that stuff. It's all based on the relationship with God, that like he is love, that he cares for us, and then he gives us eternal life, that what we have is but merely temporary, right? And so what we see here is just this like, this blessing that's within perseverance. And James points back to Job because I think it's such a beautiful story for how we can begin to live with faith and live with a trust that whatever our circumstance is, that God will get us through it. That God journeys with us. That we may lose everything, but we can't lose God. That God says, I am still with you that those are temporary things, those are material. What we have is eternal. And so 
I love just reading James and beginning, or uh, Job and beginning to see the story, how we can begin to live that life of faith. And so this idea of blessing comes up here, this idea that blessing isn't tied to material wealth. And many times we can say things like, oh, I'm so blessed because I got, you know, a thousand dollars given to me, or I was so blessed because someone gave me something. But really those are just, um, those are great things, but they're not, not always a blessing that receiving a thousand dollars may not, may actually be used in an evil way, right? Um, there's so many different ways that it could be twisted, but really it has to do with our posture. It has to do with our posture towards God and, and not necessarily, necessarily elevating objects and things to be uh, tied to that blessing. The blessing really comes from a heart posture, a contentment. So again, James 5.11 says, As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. So this perseverance that James talks about, that he says is blessed, I believe comes from this, this understanding that as we begin to wrestle through the challenges of suffering, where, uh, wherever it's coming from, um, that there's a, uh, a shaping that happens as we begin to navigate that suffering. That, that tension allows us to then learn something through that process. Um, struggle isn't all bad, that there's patience um, in the face of these struggles that, uh, that is learned. That patience that we begin to discover um, teaches us to have kind of this new perspective and it allows us to then gain something beautiful in the midst of those challenges. Um, here's uh, an illustration that I'm going to use from freediving um, is that freediving and then spearfishing that I do um, quite often, I'm just passionate about it, I just love going out in the ocean and just experiencing God's creation. Um, there's just something really life-giving about, about that time out there and, um, and just kind of getting out of kind of my, my normal comfort zone. Um, that, that challenges me and allows me to experience things that I would never imagine. Um, Freediving requires breath hold, and so uh, we always buddy dive. We're always with somebody that's watching and making sure you're safe, and um, it's just one of the, the, the priorities that we keep within freediving. But, um, but when I go out and freedive and I do a breath hold and I go down, a lot of times what your body does initially, and maybe you've been there when you've been snorkeling and you try and dip down you know, a couple feet and you're like, I can't breathe, get to the surface quick, and your body just tells you, get back to the surface. But there's something that happens as you begin to expand your lungs and expand your understanding of how long you can stay down. Your body can go a lot longer than you think you can. And, um, and I'll just challenge you right now, like if, if try and hold your breath as long as you possibly can. Um, try and hold your breath for 10 seconds, you'd be like, oh, that's a long time. But if you just push yourself to 20 or 30 seconds, you could do it. And, and I bring that up because when I push myself a little further each time, it's, it's not easy, it's not, it doesn't come naturally, but it expands my ability to be underwater a little bit longer. And I've, ex I've seen how being underwater and being quiet a little longer, another 10 seconds, 
allows fish to come around and allows me to see more of God's creation and see more of that underwater world. And, and so that's just an area in my life where I've seen that like pushing beyond my comfort zone actually allows me to, to somehow like receive that blessing or receive that, like that new world that we normally don't get to see. And, and I think there's something about our suffering and the, the challenges that we go through that shape us in a way that then we can, we can endure, right? That we can go a little longer and that we can then be a little bit stronger and understand that God is with us that much more. Uh, I know that times where I've struggled in life, where there's been suffering in my life, um, where it, I didn't know when the end would come, but then somehow God works a miracle, does something in my life, reveals something about the way that I'm living that then brings freedom. And... And then I begin to see how God provides and I trust God even more. And, and so we don't ask for suffering. We don't push suffering on anybody else. But when we're faced with it, because it exists in our world, our posture, our response and how we handle it um, will shape us and will we'll, we'll begin to teach us that we will make it through and that we will we will learn to thrive in the midst of these things and that we'll learn to push back because ultimately the mission of God is to be a blessing to the world that we live in. And in order to be a blessing, we have to push back that darkness. We have to sometimes do things that aren't easy, that aren't, that don't come natural. And we have to persevere and push forward. And what that does is it pushes back evil. It pushes back that darkness that exists around us. Um, so I would just encourage you, just push a little further. Begin to see how God might uh, take your what you think in your mind is the, the longest amount you can hold your breath or that you can deal with something. And, and I, I guarantee you, you can go further and it will teach you something and it will shape your life in, in amazing ways. And so it ends in verse 11 here with, The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And I want to reiterate that because I believe that James puts that in there to remind us that even in the challenges, the Lord is filled with compassion and mercy, that his heart is not to punish, to uh, somehow make us struggle. Um, what he's doing is, is all about compassion and mercy. That's God's heart. And so the challenges we face, they come from all kinds of, of directions and things in our world because we're in a fallen world. But what God is doing is he's going to use those things to shape us, to then give us strength, to push back the darkness even more. Jesus experienced the ultimate example of what it means to be persecuted, to experience evil. That evil put him on a cross. And if Jesus at any point said, I can't hold my breath that long, I'm not going to make it that far, we would have never experienced what true life, full life, life without sin can exist, can look like. And so what Jesus did is he paid the ultimate price. He kept pushing through to push back that darkness. And what he does is he invites us to do that daily. He invites us to that same posture of we're going to go through this because we know that our strength lies in God the Father. Mother Teresa says, I used to pray that God would feed the hungry or do this or that, but now I pray that he will guide me to do whatever I'm supposed to do, what I can do. I used to pray for answers, but now I'm praying for strength. I used to believe that prayer changes things, but now I know that prayer changes us and we change things. 
that is a powerful prayer by Mother Teresa that just says, we're not going to try and figure out where the evil is coming from, how to solve all that evil, and that it would just zap and go away. But we are called to be participants. What Jesus invites us to and what he modeled with his life where he says, I want you to be my disciples, to reflect this love in the world that we live in, to be on mission, to push back the darkness, to be on mission, to bringing redemption to relationships, what what it means to be a reflection of generosity, what it means to be the kind of people that that are community-centric and not self-centric like we talked about last week. Oh man, like it's just, I believe that this transforms our world. And that's, that's the message of James here, that in the middle of your suffering, in the middle of your challenges, God says, I am here, I'm still a God of mercy and compassion, but I want to work through you. I want to work through you to bring new life. And so I want to ask a couple questions that uh, might help us begin to understand and shape our understanding of suffering. How many times have you heard of people who have been completely transformed as a result of a really tragic event, say a car accident, that helped them just realize, I need to live life to the full. That I am not promised tomorrow, I'm gonna live today and fully today, and I'm gonna invest in others, and I'm gonna take moments, take life moment by moment, and moments that I have with people um, very seriously, and and I'm not gonna take anything lightly, nothing's taken for granted, right? So. Those things have shaped people. Tragic event shaped someone's life. Maybe you've heard that story before. Or reflect on the most challenging times of your life. And do you believe that you're stronger as a result of those really challenging times in your life? Hands down, I know that the most challenging times of my life have shaped me in a way that is good. I know that God got me through those things because I looked to Him and learned from Him how it is to handle those tragic situations, those challenges, the suffering, the difficulties. Um, And so this question that I want to end with is, will we be part of the solution? Because ultimately, it's about us participating, us stepping into what God is doing to redeem and bring new life to the world that we live in. So grace and peace to you. Rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, guiding and protecting us. Share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of each day. Amen.